0: Welcome to the podcast of Amago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. It is, um, pretty wild, six years since you started Epic, and, uh, Probably eight or nine years plus since, as a community, we've been involved in, in the fight against sex trafficking. And to see, you know, the fruit is, is really beautiful because there's a lot of years where it feels pretty hopeless. And yet, there's people uh, that God has called to stand in the gap for our most vulnerable. And uh, I hope that some of you will hear that today. Because, as a community, we want to love Jesus with everything that we have, and when we do that, He calls us to give ourselves away to others and to risk and so i hope that, and I hope that some of you will take advantage of that. Well, if you have a Bible, turn with me to First Peter chapter two, and uh, I want to make mention that there's small groups starting, and so It's really important to us that as a community, we're learning, we're growing together. And if you're not in one of those, please grab a small group packet and and find a place where you could plug in. As well, we have 24-7 prayer happening in the prayer space between now and Pentecost Sunday, which is sort of the church calendar that we follow. And I hope that you will participate in that as well. Um, As we come to 1 Peter chapter two today, Uh, I'm reminded, I was reminded all week of why I love and hate teaching through books of the Bible, because you always come across passages that, you know, you just want to bypass, and that people uh, have objections to and issues to, and yet the truth is when we find difficult passages and we give ourselves to really understanding the historical and cultural context and what the author is doing, more often than not, it is a transformative experience. One of the things that uh, I I wanna challenge you with is is that I think for many of us, when we find a verse or a section of scripture that we object to or we don't fully understand, that objection uh, kind of justifies our rejection of Christ or our questioning of Christianity. And what i would what i challenge you with is don't deny the heart of the bible which is the god who created us in love who came after us in our sin who died for us on the cross who conquered our death and sin and gives us new life by his spirit um that joy that story that has fueled the church for 2,000 years is the heartbeat of Scripture. And so rather than denying the heart of the Bible and Jesus because of certain verses, allow yourself to wrestle with those verses as you read the whole Bible in light of the heart of what it has to say about Christ and new life. And the other thing I would suggest is that when you see the church, church's failure in living Christ's vision of what faithful, obedient love and service looks like, the the solution to that is not a more liberal reading of Scripture. The solution to that is a more faithful reading that produces this Christ-like love and self-sacrificial servanthood. I mean and so the answer is never and i think particularly in our culture the tension is to go way away as opposed to going much deeper and more faithful and so today we're going to talk about peter's instructions to a very particular group of people living in a very specific cultural and historical time and what he's doing is he's saying look god has redeemed you he has done all of this through the father and the son and the spirit where christ has now chosen you and he's made you a a holy nation a chosen people a royal priesthood right and now you have to live that new identity and that new life out in the real world that you find yourself And so he's addressing a group of people who found themselves in slavery in the Roman Empire. And here's what he says, read with me at verse 18. He says, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit that if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good, you endure it. This is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, And no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray But now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. When you first read this, I think the natural response, the natural question is, doesn't this endorse slavery? And when we think of slavery, we think of sex trafficking, we think of uh, the New World slave trade, where 12 and a half million africans were kidnapped and taken to various places almost two million of them died on the way and and so we ask ourselves is peter just saying like just smile and look the other way is he endorsing that as though god is saying this is this is fine don't worry about it i think what's really important is that we understand what the first century Roman Empire understood what, the, what it meant to be a slave in that culture. Because he's writing again to specific people in very specific circumstances in a particular time and place. And so in the Roman Empire, when this is written, there wasn't a huge difference between slaves and the average free person. Slaves weren't distinguished from others by race or speech or clothing. They looked and lived most like everyone else. And they weren't segregated from the rest of society in in any way. So from a financial standpoint, slaves made the same as a free laborer. Um, They weren't uh, usually poor or impoverished. They could also accrue enough money to acquire land and purchase their freedom. And and most of all, very few were slaves for life. And and so while it was brutal at times, while there were unjust masters uh, and the work conditions were, were poor and harsh, it wasn't the same as New World slavery which was systematically brutal it was a slavery in which the slave's whole person was the property of the master he or she could be raped or maimed or killed at the will of the owner in the older bond service indentured servanthood that peter writes of only the slaves productivity their time and their skills were owned by the master, and only temporarily. So African slavery was race-based, and its default mode was slavery for life. Tim Keller says that also the African slave trade began, was begun and resourced through kidnapping and trafficking of slaves, which both Old and New Testament reject. And so while the early Christians did not mobilize an abolitionist movement to re- eradicate first century slavery, later Christians did raise up when faced with this new world slavery. That, and, and they did raise up. And yet tragically, the church in many places, through fear of suffering the loss of power, Fear of suffering the loss of economic benefit of the slave trade found ways to justify slavery. And yet, better Christians helped end it Wilberforce and many, many others. And so, Peter is writing to specific people in an actual situation who are suffering unjust conditions and who, given the cultural context, can't change those conditions in this moment and he's discipling them to live in those conditions and how to suffer injustice now to be fair peter has in one sense untied or loosened the knots of much of rome's cultural status quo so earlier when he speaks as as writing to slaves and says, live as free people. And then writing to free people, he says, live as slaves to God. He says to honor and respect all people, not showing partiality between the slave and the emperor. And that all of that is given that we would be people who live respectfully. And do good to all people. These are strong, politically charged statements that confronted the status quo of the day. When Peter writes these things, he's essentially pulling the cord on the knots and loosening the bonds on that culture that, when lived out well, eventually lead to the transformation of those cultures. So he's not endorsing slavery. He is teaching disciples how to suffer injustice. And his appeal to them is to submit to their masters in reverent fear of God. And when we hear that, it seems to us an almost fatalistic view of life. Like just submit to them. Out of fear of God, submit to your masters, and if they beat you, then don't retaliate. This would not apply to to certain conditions, but in these conditions, he says, this is the appeal. Out of respect and honor of God, do not retaliate when you're mistreated. I don't know about you, but I mean, on the freeway if somebody cuts me off i'm ready to retaliate i mean it doesn't take much when you watch a documentary or see what happened during the civil rights movement you feel the anger well up inside of you and i'm a white man right but can you imagine standing there and being treated like that and not retaliating Where does that power come from to not return violence with violence? Because the evil that is in this world is in me, and violence for violence just seems right. But in not returning violence for violence, Peter is pointing us to a different power than the world's power. He's pointing to a subversive power where those in the world who have might and economics and access and authority are subverted by those who have nothing, but they do have Jesus. And through suffering and not retaliating, they wield their power of love, trusting Christ. To rule over it all. It makes no sense to us in the common view of life and the way the world operates. And if Peter just left it there with just the command, hey, do this, it probably wouldn't make sense to us either. But he doesn't leave it there, he he takes it to Jesus. He says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the judge, him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Suffering unjustly and not retaliating is the way of Jesus. And it is through his suffering and non-violent, non-retaliation... That the glory of God is revealed into the world through the suffering of the Son of God. It is completely upside down from how we would understand it. In fact, What what people wanted, what they expected from their king, from their Messiah, is that he would come and he would kind of do a drone strike over all the Roman Empire and all the oppression and all the enemies. And when we think about injustice, we want it to go down the same way. And yet, the way he comes is in meekness and humility and servanthood and self-sacrifice. And somehow through that, he is rejected by the world, takes on the world's evil, and triumphs over that evil with new life of resurrection. It is the stream of Scripture that that God creates the world, the world rejects God, God keeps coming after the world, So you go through this, I'll bring, I'll, I'll bring this nation to the world to display me, Israel, and the world rejects Israel, and through her rejection, he brings glory to the Gentiles. He brings Christ into the world, and the world rejects Christ, and through his suffering, he opens the door for our salvation. And now he puts the church in the world. And what do you think is supposed to happen to the church? Well, we want to be really liked. We want everybody to applaud us. We want the the culture to adopt our views of morality. No, that's not what he's expecting to happen. The church goes into the world and suffers the world. As we suffer the injustice and even the evil of the world, there is somehow that God uses that to subvert and triumph over the world. Christ called you to suffer. That's what Peter says. Man, that is not an exciting message, right? I got good news. What, Jesus loves me? No. I mean, he does, but he called you to suffer. Oh, okay, thanks. But Christ suffered unjustly. Christ suffered the sins and the sinful acts of Roman authorities. Christ suffers without retaliation. And so Peter's appeal is submission without retaliation because it's rooted in the person of Jesus who revealed God's glory to the world through suffering that led to glory. And so this is the way the church acts out, puts on display the story of Jesus in the world by participating with Christ in his sufferings. Martin Luther King wrote from Birmingham prison, jail, these words to white pastors who were unwilling to be involved, to get into the fray. Who wanted to kind of keep the status quo and say, you know, just wait, just wait, just slow down, don't worry we 're evolving we 'll get there. All the while, brothers and sisters in Christ are being beaten, attacked, in prison, uh, having dogs sicked on them, and so he writes them from prison. And do you ever wonder like where did this power come from in the civil rights movement to live non-violent, non-retaliative protests. Listen to what he says. He says, there was a time when the church was very powerful. It was during that period that the early Christians rejoiced when they were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church were not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was the thermostat that transformed the mores of society. And wherever the early Christians entered a town, the power structure got disturbed and immediately sought to convict them for being disturbers of the peace or outside agitators. But they went on with the conviction that they were a colony of heaven, that they had to obey God rather than men. They were small in number, but big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated, and they brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contests. When you look at the power of the civil rights movement, and we have a long way to go, there is still great inequity and great injustice. And yet at the same time, the attraction, the power, the the, the humbling comes when you hear those words and you realize that he was leading people to imitate Christ to suffer injustice and to not retaliate. When, you, when I think about that, when we think about suffering, I mean, the truth is most of us don't want to suffer just basic obedience to Christ. When we hear something, we read something, we understand something that where God's commands come against our desires, that's like we're not even going to suffer that we'll create theologies and new interpretations of Scripture to justify what we want to do. And we're going way past that here. We're talking about suffering unjustly. How is it possible to live into this type of suffering without retaliation? And I think he gives us the secret. In verse 23 where he says he, they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Christ suffered by continually entrusting himself to the God who would judge righteously. Like, if you take that piece out, then it's just you against them. Then it's just you against whatever unjust system or person you're experiencing that from. You can take matters into your own hand. You can respond eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Uh, You can come up with your own way to fight for yourself. Or... What the early church understood is that there was, the father was literally the righteous judge and that they could wait and hope in him and that they would leave it to him to vindicate since it was him who saved. If they could entrust them with his salvation, then they could entrust the, him with their suffering. And so when you suffer unjustly, it is righteous, Christ-like suffering. And the early church understood that. And they could rejoice even in those moments. Because they were participating with Christ. Not just participating with Christ in a generic sense. They were participating with Christ at the deepest expression of his passion and his love. Where he suffered evil, the sin of other people, out of love for them. He suffered my evil, my sin, out of love for me. And so Christ suffered our sin, and in him we suffer other people's sins by entrusting ourselves to God and knowing that he will judge, and God's judgment is real. And, and it was the power of the early church. They believed it. They trusted that it, he would vindicate them. King writes, following that other paragraph, as he reflects on the New Testament church's willingness to suffer, he then writes this. He says, things are different now. The contemporary church is so often a weak ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound it is so often the arch supporter of the status quo far from being disturbed by the presence of the church the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's often vocal sanction of things as they are but the judgment of God is upon the church as never before If the church of the day does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it'll lose its authentic ring and forfeit the loyalty of millions and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. And he writes that to to white pastors who found ways of justifying and getting themselves out of suffering with because they didn't want to disrupt anything. Christ's pattern and the pattern that Peter calls us to is that when we suffer unjustly, we entrust ourselves to the just judge. And then we act out the drama of God's story in our own flesh and blood that through the rejection and the suffering of his son and his people God will break through with resurrection glory slowly now slow transformation but fully coming in the future that's what Peter's calling us to and it takes an extreme measure of grace, an actual faith that believes that Christ is who he said he was, that Christ did what he said he'd do, that God the Father is the judge, like they believe it. And this perhaps is why the church becomes that irrelevant social club, because we ultimately don't believe when it really matters most that it's safer to stand back and play church. I wanna share a few things to summarize this as we near the end. The first would be that there is real evil in the world. And and I think in social commentary on suffering, or injustice you often hear that it's pointless it's meaningless when you hear of a terrorist attack and they say it's meaningless suffering well the truth is no they had intent they weren't insane they planned they plotted they strategized there was meaning in it for them but it was evil because there's evil in the world and Christians know that there's evil in the world, which means there's evil in systems and there's evil in powers. And that evil is real. And so it's not just that we're all good people and we need to be nicer. It's that there's actual evil that comes against God and destroys people and uses people. Epic doesn't exist to save little girls who are the most vulnerable because there's not real evil in the world. People don't just need a little more morality training, that there's, there's a sickness in us that wants to hurt and use people and throw them away. That's evil. And Christians live in a time now where we can change things. That other people at other times didn't have that opportunity. And so, you should, we should use our agency, use that opportunity to live a deeper, more faithful Christianity. Not become the, the country club, but to become that heavenly colony that is willing in the face of injustice or suffering to do what is right. Now for some of you, you are engaged in justice issues, and and you're experiencing this suffering, and it's probably a challenge for you in those moments to go, can I entrust myself to God because I I just wanna take matters into my own hands. And we wanna stand with you and for you and and alongside of you in that, to say "Let's, let's trust ourselves to God. Let's be obedient to God here. Let's suffer and not retaliate and let God be the one who judges and see what he does. See how he transforms the world as you act out his story. To do good is to not be exempt from suffering. There is no strategy, no game plan, no way in which evil gets eradicated because we put together the right program. The truth is, if you engage the world at all, you will suffer injustice, but you will be entering into the Jesus story. And to do good respectfully to and for all people, and when we suffer for it, we don't retaliate we are called to suffer in this way because we trust God. Now, for some of us, it means putting yourself in the line of suffering. To step into those places where injustice is living, where evil is living. And to say, I want to represent Christ here. I want to stand in the gap here. I want to obey God, not man, here, and to risk yourself, which you can, because Christ has risked everything for you. Bonhoeffer, who wrote this from a prison days before he was executed through hanging, as he resisted. Hitler, and as the National Church embraced Hitler in his genocide, as he was reflecting on what it means to suffer the injustice of standing up for righteousness, he says, it is not a religious act that makes the Christian, but participation in the sufferings of God in the secular life that is repentance not in the first place thinking about my needs my problems my sins my fears but allowing oneself to be caught up in the way of jesus christ pain is a holy angel and through him men have become greater than through all the joys of the world the pain of longing which can often be felt physically, it will be there. And we shall not and need not try to talk that away. But that pain needs to be overcome every time, and thus there is an even holier angel than the one of pain. And it is the one of joy in God. We come to a table, and it's a table of unjust suffering, and the writer of Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame, and so we come to bread that represents a body that was broken and beaten under Roman execution. We come to a cup of wine that represents blood that was poured out through Christ as he died on the cross, not retaliating, unjustly dying for my sin and for your sin and for all the evil in the world. And the invitation today is to come and to eat that, to take that into yourself to let his crucified life become our crucified life, where we die to the world and the world dies to us so that we can entrust ourselves fully to God. And when that happens, it won't take away the legitimate anger, frustration, physical suffering, but it will empower the kind of revolutionary love that you hear in the words of Martin Luther King, that can look into the face of pure evil and pray words like, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Christ today. We recognize that that is a name that is above all names. And that is the name of the king that is above all kingdoms. And yet that is also the name of the suffering servant. The name of the one whose body was broken and whose blood was shed. God, I wanna pray for my brothers and sisters today who find themselves in this moment suffering unjustly. I wanna pray, God, that you would allow them to, by a miracle of your grace, entrust themselves to you as the one who will judge and to suffer without retaliation because that is commendable to you. God, I want to pray for those who are unwilling ever to suffer, who don't ever get involved, who don't ever risk, who who are at risk, God, of becoming members of a country club, not a colony of heaven. Would you, by your grace, capture their hearts, God? Convict us in the places where we ignore, avoid, uh, distract ourselves from seeing, and awaken us to what it means to really act out the story of Jesus as your people in this world, knowing that that involves rejection, knowing that that involves suffering, and knowing that that leads to a glory that will never end. And so would you meet us at this table? Would you meet us at these doors of prayer? God, would you hear us as we cry out to you? We need you today to live into this supernatural way of being human. Would you, God, empower us to be faithful to you in the midst of suffering? We pray in your name. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amargodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.